All right. Hey, you can take a seat once you've uh, once you've met someone. You can go ahead and take a seat. All right. Hey, everyone. Good morning. Welcome. I'm so glad you guys walked around and met people. You guys are getting so much better at that. That was great. Uh, hey, do me a favor. Turn to Second Corinthians, chapter eight. If you have a Bible, if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We'd love to get you one so you can follow along. But 2 Corinthians 8, again, don't be shy. Raise your hand. We would love to get you a Bible so you can follow along. If you don't own a Bible, take that. That is our gift to you. We'd love for you to study it, to read it, to bring it, to take notes. Um, I can't believe it's already December 1st. It's December 2019. Uh, We hope you guys had a great Thanksgiving. You're full. You celebrated, like we talked about last week, that you had a good time. Um, but it's already December 2019. Uh, hey, let me just kind of give you a little update just so you kind of know what's happening. Uh, next year, 2020, we're, we're going to be we're praying about vision for next year. and are going to be talking about that in weeks to come. Um, we're going to start the book of Jonah next year and go through the book of Hebrews next year just to kind of know what we're praying through and just praying over as you can just join us. as We just ask God will use his books to shape and form our church. Uh, but um, this week, and what we're doing till the end of the year, a couple weeks into the new year, we're in, this middle, we're in the middle of a series called Spiritual Formation. And if you've been with us, you kind of know what we're talking about. If you don't, it's okay. I'll catch up to speed. Here's what we're trying to do for our church, for our church family. We're trying to answer this question of how do we change? How do we actually change? How do we grow? How do we become more like Jesus? How do we not just talk about these things? How? We want to answer that question, how? How do we actually become more like Jesus? And so we're doing this series called Spiritual Formation. It's essentially a series on the spiritual disciplines or the spiritual practices. Uh, We've defined it this way. Spiritual formation is being formed by the Spirit inwardly into the likeness of Jesus through timeless practices and disciplines. We want to be more like Jesus. God has given us the Holy Spirit. God has given us spiritual disciplines. We want to put those into practice. And I'm so thankful for this series. Um, I know you guys know this, but we've talked about this every week, but I'm just catching you up. Um, We are all being formed by someone or something. Where all of us in this room are becoming more like Jesus or less like Jesus. Every week, the things you watch, the people you talk to, the things you read, everything shapes you and forms you in who you are. And we're trying to like take that captive and say we're not going to be unintentional with those things. We want to be intentional. There's unintentional spiritual formation, and there's intentional spiritual formation. And so we'll, we'll put up these disciplines for you guys. Uh, but we've talked about every week the, the disciplines of engagement or disengagement. And the idea behind it is this. Sometimes we need to disengage. Sometimes we need to get away. Sabbath. Uh, we need to have silence and solitude. We, need to pr- we just need to get away. That's where like, I think refueling, refreshing comes. Other times there's disciplines of engagement. We need to be proactive. We need to serve. We need to do. Uh, we need to praise. We need to celebrate. We talked about that last week. Here's what we're going to be looking at today. So as we talk about these spiritual disciplines, the hope is as we put these into practice, we would become more like Jesus. Amen? So today we're going to look at the practice of generosity and giving. And I think this is a timely word coming out of Thanksgiving, coming really out of Black Friday a couple days ago, coming into Cyber Monday, um, when it's all about self and the consumer. 
we're trying to switch it up and say, let's practice something different. Now, let me give you a few disclaimers in case you are new or newer. This is your first time here. You're like, I knew it. They're talking about giving and generosity. Of course, the one time I come, um, I just want to kind of silence that for a second. Um, this is not in a boastful way. This is actually kind of in a sad way. I've only talked on giving one time in the last 110 messages. Um, this is my second time doing a message on giving and generosity. That's not for me to boast in. That is something to say, um, I'm actually, that's not a good thing. Uh, just like we'll talk about sin, hell, forgiveness, repentance, we'll talk about all these topics. Uh, we should talk about giving and generosity. This is something God uses to make us more like Jesus. Uh, Jesus was a very generous person, a very giving person. Um, and I think sadly, sometimes we can shy away from this. I do want to be honest, like I think maybe many of us, either growing up in the church or just watching like Christian things on TV, it's kind of put a bad taste in our mouth about giving, about generosity, to the point where now we're really cynical. We're now, maybe some of you are wondering, like, well, I wonder what jet he flies in, right? I wonder, uh, what, what shoes does he have on? They're kind of falling apart. But I wonder, like, what, you know, sometimes we get very cynical and just critical in general. And I think it kind of keeps us from becoming generous people, from God making us more like Jesus. I, I do want to say this, and I, I want to be clear, and I want you guys to know this. I genuinely believe, whenever you talk about these topics, God's not saying, I want your money, I give it to me. I think what God is saying, I want your heart, but many times it's our money that is blocking that. It's that God we serve. It's that God we put above him. It's like, God, you can have all of me, my time, my life, my will. Just don't talk about my wallet. God, you can have all of me. Just don't, I don't want to give my money to you. And I think there's that side of our heart that we just kind of maybe been withholding from God in some ways. I think this is something that we should just be honest about. It's funny, I was reading up on this this week. Uh, there's an article that went out, or a, a survey that went out to multiple generations, the millennials, the Gen Xers, the, uh, you know, other generations, I don't know. Um, it went to all the generations, and, it, and the one generation that came back that thought they were the most generous was millennials. They viewed themselves as the most generous people, but when it came to the practical side of how much money they gave away, they're the least generous. And I'm a millennial, I'm not here to shame them. I mean, that's me, but the thought was, we are incredibly generous. Well, how much money do you give to people, organizations, nonprofits? Well, we don't really give any. So like we think highly of ourselves, but in reality, there's a very low. And I just think this, I think God wants to do something new. I think God wants to raise up his church and say, listen, we're gonna be generous. We're gonna be giving people. We're not gonna put our trust in riches. We know that riches and wealth and those things will not satisfy, meet the deepest needs of our heart. And we give to show God we trust you. We give to say, God, this is not what I serve, I serve you. And so anyways, as we're talking about this, I just kind of hope if this is one of those things that kind of rubs you the wrong way, maybe that's a good thing. Um, I think a lot of times the Lord touches those sensitive areas of our heart that we don't want to talk about, we don't want to address because it's very personal to us. It's like whenever someone talks about my little G God in a way, it's like, don't, you can talk about anything you want, just not that. And why is that? And I think we're trying to defend something that we shouldn't be defending. So here's what I'm, I'm hoping. I'm hoping as we just talk about this discipline, that God would make us individually and corporately just into more the image of Jesus, right? The whole point of this, all the disciplines are not just to do the disciplines. The disciplines are not the end goal. They're a means to an end, and what's the end goal? That we'd be like Jesus. The end goal is that we'll be with Jesus, be like Jesus, and do what Jesus did, amen? That is the end goal. The disciplines are a way to get us there. This is not the end goal. Practice, do these things, and then you're done. It's God, let your Holy Spirit take these disciplines in my life to make me more like your son, Jesus. So we're going to read, um, I, it not, I don't think, it is the longest section in the New Testament on giving. We're not going to read all of it, but we're going to read uh, several verses from this. Paul's just talking to the church about cultivating the spirit of generosity. All right, so let's read it. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Let's start in verse 1. We'll bounce around a bit. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. 
Here's what Paul writes to a church that was, in a sense, lacking in generosity. He says, brethren, chapter 8, verse 1, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. They gave liberally, he said. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, begging us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord. I love that. They first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. So we urged Titus that as he had begun, so he would also complete this grace in you as well. But as you abound in everything, you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love for us. See that you abound in this grace also. I speak not by commandment, but I am testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. And in this I give advice. It is to your advantage not only to, to be doing what you began and were desiring to do a year ago, but now you must also complete the doing of it. That as there was a readiness to desire it, so there also may be completion out of what you have. Don't just desire it, but do it. Verse 12. For if there is first a willing mind, it is accepted according to what one has and not according to what he does not have. Verse 5. Chapter 9, verse 5. Chapter 9, verse 5. Look a few verses over. He says, in light of all this, skip ahead. Therefore, I thought it necessary to exhort you to encourage the brethren to go uh, to go to, your, to you ahead of time and prepare your generous gift beforehand, which you had previously promised that it may be ready as a matter of generosity and not as a grudging obligation. Verse 6, but this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his own heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. As it is written, he has dispersed abroad, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed, of your, the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. While you are enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God for the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints, your gift not only meets the needs of the saints, but also is abounding through many thanksgivings to God. While through the proof of this ministry, they glorify God for your obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ and for your liberal sharing with them and all men and by their prayer for you who long for you because of the exceeding grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Let's pray and we'll look at this more in depth. Father, um, I just ask that this would not be just a time where we hear your word, we dismiss it, we ignore it, we maybe don't even appreciate it. God, we want to slow down and first of all, thank you for your indescribable gift. Thank you, God, that you are a giver. Thank you, God, for what you've done. 
God, I, I ask that you just make our hearts um, appreciate and enjoy what you've done. God, I ask that you'd be just, again, you'd remind us of the gospel of Jesus in this process. That God, as men try to motivate in different ways, you, made, you motivate us with the gospel. And so I ask that that'd be in the forefront of our mind and in our hearts, and that you just be here and move in your name, Jesus. Amen. Um, as I mentioned a couple days ago, it was Black Friday. Uh, I think Black Friday has become like a national holiday. I've heard people call it Good Friday on accident. I maybe have said that too in small, but it becomes like a very big thing in our culture, in our community. Tomorrow is Cyber Monday. And really, I think the lines have just kind of been blurred. Like every day between, you know, Thursday at like three o'clock till Monday or even later is like this national shopping spree day for us. Uh, if you've ever, I don't know if you've ever been out on a Good Friday. It can be terrifying. Uh, I've been once, but it's in North Carolina. And it's actually kind of, it's kind of nice. It wasn't terrible. Uh, Florida's known for kind of losing their minds on Black Friday. Uh, we are the Florida man state. We usually make national news in some way. I was just, you know, Googling this yesterday about things that have happened in Florida, and you can just see people being trampled on and fighting and pulling. I mean, if you want to look at little videos on Twitter, you can, but I don't recommend it. You just kind of see the worst in Americans that way. Uh, but it's an interesting thing. It, it really does something to our hearts when you look at Black Friday and you see what it does to our hearts. And here's what I think America is trying to do recently. We try to compensate. In 2012, we created something called Giving Tuesday. Giving Tuesday was like, oh my gosh, we're getting pretty bloodthirsty and greedy. Uh, maybe we should like offer, offer greeting. So we've created Giving Tuesday as a way for people to give to nonprofits and charities, which in a way is they're trying to counteract this greed. Um, but it is interesting. Like when you look about it, you see that maybe you get like, even yesterday or Saturday or Friday, your heart and your mind was thinking about the deals and the sales and what, what, as soon as I leave here, where am I going? And what am I gonna buy tomorrow and cyber? Maybe that's what your mind's been consumed with. Here's the counter to that, all right? The idea is this. With every bad habit, there is a spiritual discipline. The way the Bible tries to counteract greed or consumerism or materialism, the way we try to counteract that is with generosity. The world says, consume, consume, focus on yourself. What do you need? Get it and get it now. It's a deal. And Jesus says, give. Jesus says, be generous. And this is to counteract that just focus and love of self that we all have. You know, it's interesting to me. Greed does seem to be the first and original sin. I mean, if you really think back to the Garden of Eden, God made paradise. He made man. He made woman. Everything was good. They have unlimited food and just a perfect weather. They're naked in the garden. I mean, it's paradise, you guys. It's great. And what, is the, what does their heart want? It wants the one thing they can't have. It's just, I want that one thing. Maybe God is withholding good. And our heart just longs for that. You know, the Bible does talk a lot about just that sin of greed. It's interesting how Jesus says this, beware of greed. He says, flee sexual morality, but beware of greed. The idea of this is um, you might not even be aware that you are a greedy person. Everyone likes to think that someone else is greedy. We like to think, no, rich people are greedy, or no, poor people are greedy, or middle class is greedy. We all like to think someone else is greedy, when in reality, Jesus, you beware of greed. You see, flee sexual sin because you know when you're in sexual sin. Like, you know, if you don't know when you're in sexual sin, let's, we'll talk after. Like, you know when you're in sexual sin, but when it comes to greed, you really don't know. When it comes to greed, we don't realize how it plagues all of our hearts. That's why Jesus has to say, beware, wake up. This isn't someone else. This is a thing that corrupts us. See, Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24, simply put, he says this, you cannot serve God and money. Jesus said this, not, listen, please, not that you can't have both, but you can't serve both. It's not wrong to have wealth. It's not wrong to have riches. A lot of men and women in the Bible were extremely rich and extremely generous. It's not wrong to have wealth, but he says you cannot serve both. 
So there is a difference between having both and serving both. You can't do it. He's like, you cannot serve both masters. You either love the one and hate the other. You cannot serve money and God. Let's just make that statement really clear. You cannot serve the Lord Jesus and serve money. You see, either money is your master or Jesus is your master. Either you serve your money or your money serves you. And this is the idea. Jesus is just ruthlessly trying to get to the heart. He's trying to get to the bottom line. And so this is why for us today, and this is why I think even America began to realize just a few years ago, oh my goodness, people are becoming like savages on Black Friday. Uh, Let's offer Giving Tuesday. It doesn't fix the solution. It doesn't make us generous. Just because you give doesn't mean you're generous. But there is a way to say we need to fight this consumer greed mentality we all have by how? By practicing generosity. By practicing giving. Let it become a part, just like you, you spend constantly. You'll leave here and probably spend money within an hour and a half. Just like we spend constantly, we should practice giving and generosity. So let's just talk about this. Three points. Here's what we're going to walk through today. Uh, why generosity? The why of generosity. The what of generosity. And the how of generosity. Uh, we're going to look at the scriptures and let's get to the bottom line. That's, what's the why of generosity? What is the what of generosity? What is the how? So first and foremost, number one is this, the why, the why of generosity. Would you look again at 2 Corinthians 8, verse 7? Verse 7, I want you to hear this. He says, as you abound in everything, you excel. I love this, the Corinthian church. You excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love for us. See that you abound in this grace also. Uh, that is a very nice way of saying, guys, you're really, you love well, you speak well, good for you, but you don't give well. Paul is just trying to be like a nice way of saying, just can you also abound in this grace? It does seem like so often that generosity might be the last thing that God maybe matures in our hearts, that grows in our hearts. Um, maybe you look at your own spiritual life and you're like, Jesus has set you free from bondage, from addiction. God has just given you new life, new habits, but yet you're still lacking in generosity. It's sometimes and so often it can be the last thing in our spiritual maturity that God wants to grow us into. So when I ask this question of why, why generosity? Why is this so necessary? Why is this so important? Honestly, like why? Why does it matter? Why not just live out for number one? Like why does it really matter? Here's the idea. We got to see this. I know you know this. God is incredibly generous. You see, when we give Really, we're made in the image of God. We are image bearers of God, but sin has corrupted that. Sin has broken that. Sin has ruined that. And so the idea of giving is we're trying to restore that image idea of God. Like we're made in God's image. God is a giver, so we want to be a giver. When you read Genesis, the very beginning of the Bible, and you think about this, it's like God gave animals. God filled the sea. God filled the sky with birds. God gave and gave and gave. You know what's really interesting? In Genesis 3, it says, and Eve took. And if you're reading this in Hebrew, it's just so stand out. God's giving, God's giving, God's giving. God graciously gives everything in the garden. And it says, and Eve took. You see, there's the idea that you can gracefully receive everything or gratefully take it. And there's a big difference. God wants us to graciously receive what he's given us. That is a beautiful thing. God gives, receive that. But there's times where we go, that's not enough, and we don't just gracefully receive, we gratefully take. And it says, then Eve took of the fruit of the tree. Eve took, and something changed. We went from being made in the image of God to sin breaking that, and now we're consumed with self. And and when we give, the idea is like we're trying to be made back into the image of God. We're trying to restore what was broken. We're trying to fix that that issue that has happened. See, I want us to understand God is so generous. And I, I, I know we can know this in theory, but church, do we get this? Do we get how generous God is? 
What is John 3.16, the verse that like, the number one quoted verse in like the world, it says, for God so loved the world, he what? He gave. God so loved, when there's love, there's giving. God so loved, he gave. Where there is love, there is giving, church. God so loved, he gave. I want you to think about this. If you look at other gods, other belief systems, their God or different gods or little g gods, they're takers. A lot of different times, world religions or different belief systems will say, you need to give, you need to do this. God wants you to go on this pilgrimage. God wants you to pray five times a day. God is asking that you pay back the, your debt in some way, get out of purgatory, pay off this thing. Maybe if it's like karmic debt, every world religion or every belief system basically says you're in debt to someone or something. And the idea for us is like different. Yes, you could say we're in our sin. Yes, you could say that there's a debt, but it's not that we have to pay back God. God's like, let me pay it for you. Let me pay it on your behalf. You could never pay me back. I want us to get this. We could never pay God back. I know I've used this before, but it's so true. If someone was to come and, and give you car keys to like your favorite, I don't know, what's a nice car, like a Bentley or Maserati, I have no idea. But if someone's like, hey, this, is, this free car's on me. And you're like, oh my gosh, thank you so much. Oh my, I can't take this gift. Let me give you like five bucks. Like, they'd be like, what? what? Like, yeah, I, I mean, I can't let you give this to me for free. Let me just give you five bucks. Like, how, how dare you offer me five, right? Like, it's almost, it's outrageous. And here's God who gave us this indescribable gift. We're like, uh, let me pay you back. God's like, you can't pay me back. You can't pay me back. God is generous. God is a giver. We must see this. We must know this. We must walk in this. God so loved, he gave. This is the verse in 2 Corinthians 8, 9. This is the exchange. This is why we're called the exchange in many ways. What does it say in 2 Corinthians 8, 9? You know, he says, you know, speaking of generosity and their lack of it, he's like, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so you through his poverty might become rich. Isn't that the gospel? The gospel is God left heaven. The gospel is God had within the Godhead, there's perfect love, perfect contentment, perfect peace. He created us. We broke the covenant between us and God, and God goes, let me leave heaven and, and come to you. Let me not just leave heaven and come to earth. Let me be a servant to all. Let me be rejected by all. Let me be despised by all, abused, crucified, beaten. God who is rich became poor, so you and I, through our poverty, might become rich. Not that there's financial rich. And it's funny, uh, we post this verse one time on our Instagram, and someone's like, another prosperity church, thinking they're getting, I'm like, oh, that's the gospel, all right? 2 Corinthians 8 9 is not like, hey, God now has made us rich. Look at your checkbook. Like, no. The idea is you and I were spiritually poor, and God has made us rich. That as Ephesians says, you are blessed with all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. You and I are blessed with the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. We were poor, bankrupt before God. And God says, let me fill your bank account with my righteousness. Let me give you everything you could never attain, you could never work for. Let me give it to you freely because I'm a giving God. Amen. We serve a generous God. And this is what Paul is trying to say. Can I tell you, some people might try to manipulate people by, but look at the poor people all around the world. Don't you want to give? Like, you should feel bad about how much money you have. There's people who try to manipulate that way. They'll try to manipulate the will, the mind. God doesn't try to manipulate in any way. He just says, look at the gospel. Look what God has done. Look what God has left, and you're made in his image. Paul tries to get to the heart of the gospel message. You are broke. You're that one who's in poverty and God made you rich by the blood of Jesus. Why do we give? Because God's a giver. Why do we need to be generous, seek out, practice generosity? Because it's, it makes us more like our God. This is so key. I want you to think of one story that like really kind of points us out well. Uh, maybe you remember Luke 19, there's a story of Zacchaeus. I love Zacchaeus. He was a, a rich little man. He's a wee little man. A wee little man was he. 
Uh, he climbed up in a sycamore tree. Remember Zacchaeus? I don't know if you grew up in Sunday school, sorry. Um, but Zacchaeus was a really wealthy guy. He was actually a Jewish guy who worked for Rome who taxed Jews. So Jews hated him. A Jewish guy who worked for Rome taxed his own people, and he taxed them exceedingly abundantly above what he needed to tax them, and he was abusing his own people. And as Zacchaeus, when he sees Jesus passing by, and he wants to get Jesus' attention, so he does climb up in a tree, and, and basically Jesus you know, invites himself over for dinner in some ways, and they have this conversation between Zacchaeus and Jesus. We'll throw the verses up here, but listen to this. I love this. In, Ze- in Luke chapter 19, verse 8, Zacchaeus stood and said to Jesus, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor, And if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I'm going to restore fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today, salvation has come to this house because he also is a son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. This is so interesting to me. Zacchaeus has this encounter with Jesus and he he feels such conviction for his greed and taking and exploiting people. He goes, Jesus, I'm going to pay him back and double and fourfold. fourfold. I'm going to fix this. And Jesus goes, you've been saved. It's crazy. Jesus goes, I've come to seek and save the lost. And let me just tell you what this man, salvation came to you. Why? Because he did something? No. The gospel so transformed his heart inwardly, he goes, I have to be generous. He met with Jesus, had this encounter with Jesus. He goes, I can't live the same anymore once I met Jesus. Church, do we get that? Once you meet Jesus, you can't live the same anymore. Do we agree? Once you've truly encountered Jesus, you cannot live the same. He goes, I've encountered you, Jesus, and I just need to pay. I want to do this. Jesus did not tell him to do this. Do we get that? Jesus was not like Zacchaeus. Now, if you really want to be right with me, you've got to do these things. He, Jesus did not tell him to do this. He goes, I want to do this. And he goes, yes. This is a sign of a heart that's been regenerated. This is a sign of a heart that gets it. He didn't command him. He didn't tell him. He just did it out of this sense of, I know I should do this because I want to now live differently once I've met Jesus. And here's what I want us to get, church. You know a sign of someone who's really, truly been born again. And I really do mean this. Someone who you can see like, wow, God has transformed their heart. They just naturally become generous. You don't have to force it out of them. You just be like, now that you're saved, get, like, there doesn't have to be that force, that obligation. It's, I just want to do this. One author, a guy named David Mathis, said this, one of the effects of the gospel going deeper into our souls is that it frees our fingers to loosen the grasp or their grasp on our goods. Generosity is one of the great evidences of truly being a Christian. And I so agree. Just when you experience the grace of God, you're like, I just want to loosen my grip on everything I once held so dearly. I used to grip finances so dearly, and I just want to loosen that. I used to grip so many things to dearly, and Jesus, it's yours. I don't, I don't want to say I give you all of me and really withhold from you. I give you truly all of me. Martin Luther, a guy who you maybe know from church history, said something I think pretty profound. He said, there are three conversions that take place. We'll put up here. He goes, there are three conversions a person has to experience. Uh, the conversion of the head, the conversion of the heart, and the conversion of the pocketbook. I, I think it's true. It's like you're convinced the gospel is true. Jesus died and rose again. Your heart is transformed by that, and because your heart is transformed, every part of you is transformed nothing's withheld from him. You're like, I, I just give you all of me, Lord. I, I give you every part of me. I like how Randy Alcorn put it. He says, uh, as thunder follows lightning, giving follows grace. When God's grace touches you, you can't help but respond with generous giving. As thunder follows lightning, just generosity follows grace. If you've tasted and seen the Lord is good, if you experience this idea of you and I were rich and separated from God because of our sins, we're on our way to hell, and God intervened through the person of Jesus, and he redeemed us, and he saved us by his blood. God paid a huge price. Thank God, Paul ends the chapter 9, for his indescribable gift. What an indescribable gift. If you've truly experienced that, there's not the sense of now start giving. There, there's, not, there's not that obligation for me or to you by any means. Your heart just goes, God, I want to give. You are a giver I want to give. This is a beautiful thing. Here's my point. This is the why. Church, 
by no means, I think for me, for other pastors, sometimes there's like a fear of talking about this where it's like, I don't want to talk about this or it can be sensitive. Can I be honest? I'm not a salesman trying to sell you anything. The gospel's free. The good news of Jesus is free. Freely you have received, freely give. The Bible just talk. you receive freely, freely give. There's not some like pitch. And just let the gospel so transform you. So here's my point. If you're new or new, we're not asking you to give. We don't want you to give. We're saying if you're a follower of Jesus and this is your local church, this will be an expression of your faith. It just will come out. It will just be a part of your life. Maybe you need guidance in that. Maybe you need, what does this look like and practical sides of this? And that's okay. Well, we can talk through that. But this will be a natural expression of like, okay, I, God's given to me. I just want to give. Now how? Or what does this look like? So let's talk about number two, the what. The what of giving. The what of giving. So what does generosity look like? The what of generosity. What does this really look like? Uh, can you look at 2 Corinthians 8, verse 3? Verse 3. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 3. I love how Paul uh, says this. And he's talking about the churches in Macedonia. So that would have been Thessalonica, that, like, so the book of Thessalonians. That would have been Philippi, the church. You know, we say that this year. Here's what he says. He says, For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. Um, The what of generosity. What does generosity look like? Um, Generosity is sacrificial. Do we get what he says? He goes, they didn't just give according to their means, they gave beyond their means. What does true generosity look like? It will hurt a little bit. You will feel it. He said, they didn't just give according to their means, but even beyond their means. Let me just, I know we know this, but guys, true sacrifice, you're going to feel that. When you truly give something, you go, ooh, I, I feel that a little bit. That actually, that might mean I have to change a part of my life in order to give. I might have to change some of my habits, some of my spending habits in order to be more generous. You're going to feel that. When the church first got like, when the, was filled with the Holy Spirit, remember in Acts 2, they're filled with the Holy Spirit, 3,000 people get saved. If you remember in Acts 2, 3, and 4, chapter 4, like everyone's like selling their land, their possessions, and said so they laid the apostles' feet. They're like, we just have to give. We want to be, God has done something new. He's doing something new. We want to be a part of this work. We're just going to get, and it, it wasn't about a number. It wasn't about a percentage. It was just, I want to give, and I want to give sacrificially, and that was so beautiful. And I, I think this is really that New Testament idea of what does generosity look like. It really isn't so much about percentage. So let's talk about this, because I think there's questions revolving around the tithe. What is the tithe? What is tithing? I've heard this term. Are we still bound to the tithe as New Testament followers of Jesus? Like, what does this look like? Let's just talk about this. First of all, the tithe just means this. It means one-tenth. The Hebrew word for tithe simply means one-tenth. This was something that they would practice. They would bring one-tenth of their possessions or one-tenth of their, the way they made money, whether selling off fruit or selling whatever, sheep, goats. They'd bring a tenth of that wealth back to the temple or back to their local synagogue. They would actually even sell a part or have parts of their land for the poor for those who are oppressed. They would actually let people go and take from their own land. People who study this say that they didn't just give 10%, they probably give around 23 to 25% of their income just to help, whether it's the temple, the priest, the, the ministry happening there, and just people who are poor and oppressed. 25, can we not, like 25% of their income? This is something that God just did tell them to do naturally. You go, ah, oh, well, we're not under that, and let's just, okay, let's just talk about that. Uh, I love the story between Abraham and Melchizedek. Before the law was ever given, before the Ten Commandments were ever written, Here's Abraham who encounters this heavenly priest, Melchizedek, and you can read the story. It says priest, he has no genealogy, no background. Hebrews talks about him. He's a really interesting figure. And it says Abraham just gives him a tenth. He tithes to this priest. This was way before God said, you must do or don't do. It's just like a natural response of let me just give to this. What does this look like for us today? Um, I'm not really sure. <laughs> this is a hard one. This is one where I think that ultimately it's not about a percentage, it's about a generous heart. Let me just talk personally for a second. Um, personally, from a young age, my dad did, I think, do a good job of like, listen, everything's God's, give back 10%. 
I, I think we have this mindset of, I, like, I don't know why tithing sometimes is like, oh, I've got to pay my bills with my 10%. Sometimes we have this mindset. Here's the idea. Everything's God's. And God says, I'll let you keep 90. I'll let you keep 90. Let me give back 10. You know, that's, it's a great, so from a young mindset, I had this, but let me just say this. I think I was doing it, but still not generous. You can tithe and not be generous. It's not necessarily about the percentage or the figure. You can reach that and still have, and still lack generosity. I would say that was me. I was giving since, honestly, my first job working at Ruby's Diner with my little bow tie and hat and serving people at restaurants. Um, you know, it's like easy. It's like, oh, this is what you do. You give 10%. If, since I was a little kid, we'd go in our bed and my dad would give us an allowance and you'd like set aside 10% and put it in a little box. Like, I remember doing this. It was easy, but it didn't mean I was generous. Do we get that? God might be challenging you and say, hey, you give 10, but you don't really need that 90%, do you? Sa- you sacri- the whole idea of generosity is a sacrifice. There are people that I've met <laughs> that it's crazy. They'll live off half their income. Maybe they try to reverse tithe. I'm not saying you have to do that. That's not obligation. That's just something, the conviction they have. The whole point is not so much about a number or percentage, but it's about are you actually making sacrifices? Are you actually giving where you feel it? Do you sense that? Do you feel that? Can I say this? Jesus actually doesn't even condemn the tithe. Do you know he affirms it? And he says he raises the bar for the tithe. There's a verse that people like never want to talk about. It's uh, in Luke chapter 11. Look at this. Luke chapter 11, verse 42. We'll throw it up here. Jesus says, what are you Pharisees? For you tithe, you tithe your mint and rue, you tithe your herbs, and all manner of herbs, but you pass by justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. First, let's just talk about this. This is the point. The Pharisees did tithe, but they still weren't generous. He's like, you tithe everything. You're, that's why we got the word like, you're a Pharisee. I mean, you are that. You tithe even your mint, man. You tithe everything in your life, but you pass by justice, and you pass by the oppressed, and you don't show the love of God. Micah 6, 8, what does the Lord require of you, a man, but to do justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with our God? This has been God's heart for like, don't just tithe and you miss the point. He's like, you miss the point. You tithe and you miss the point. It's possible to be in that category. But notice what he says at the end. He says, at the end of this, he says, these things, these you ought to have done. You ought to have loved those people, served those people, showed them justice without leaving the others undone. Meaning, it's not an either or thing. He's like, he's not saying you should have done this. He goes, don't, don't leave the other things undone. It's good you tithe, but you passed over the most important thing. The point is sometimes we make it this either or thing when he's like, hey, both. My point is this. Under the New Testament of grace, are we bound to the tithe? No, not really. But can I tell you, under the goodness and grace of God, do we give less? We are under a better covenant. We have a better covenant, Hebrews says. And it's like, awesome, we have a better covenant, so therefore I don't need to be as generous. Of course not. There's, I know there's convictions on this. I'm not trying to, I, I just want you guys to experience generosity. I want you guys to walk in that and experience that. I have no idea what that number might look like for you. I would say tithing for us is the ceiling, or is the floor, not the ceiling. It's not, this is the maximum. I think this is the starting point, to be honest. I've expressed this, not just necessarily a bold way, but the Lord stretched us in this. Even for us this year to increase at 1%, where you feel that 1% extra. And that's not in a, a bold way. That's not me just trying to celebrate, like pat myself on the back. Let's just say God has been challenging us to be more generous people, to give to our local church, to give to other nonprofits outside of that, other offerings on top of that. And you feel that, you sense that. And this, it's one of those things where sacrifices are, or generosity is a sacrifice. Jesus was sitting one day at the temple and he's watching people give and they're sounding trumpets. They're like, look at me. And they're sounding all these trumpets. And he saw this little old woman, remember? And she walks over and she brings her two mites. And Jesus goes, look at her. She gave more than all these people who gave other abundance. She gave out of her lack. The point is, she gave everything. It wasn't about a percentage. You can give a lot when you have a lot. He's like, but do you feel it? She felt it. He goes, she gave out of her poverty. And that's a beautiful thing. So we maybe just need to move on from this percentage thing. 
but it's not so much like that's a bad thing. We can learn from Abraham. We can learn from this Hebrew practice of tithe. We can learn from that, but it shouldn't be this thing that governs us or maybe just, but I would say don't let it be that that is like the end goal. Maybe that's a starting point. Maybe we should be like the New Testament church. We go, you know what? They gave lands and how, maybe God needs to increase us in that way. So here's what I'm trying to say. It's not just sacrificial, but number two, generosity is a consistent thing. It's a consistent thing. I know that we can like live and I can be guilty of like living in the past. Well, years ago I did this, you know, large gift or sum of money and obviously that will just carry me on through eternity. I'm pretty good now. Like we can maybe live in that. Uh, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 16. He says, verse 1, 1 Corinthians 16. He says, now concern, listen to this. Concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collection when I come. On the first day of every week, put aside some giving. This is how he describes it. So here's the point. I'm not trying to be like, now you need to give every Sunday. It's not that. For our family, we do give on a monthly basis and we give the first day of the month, so that's today, but we give on a monthly basis and the idea is you do this on a cons- just in a consistent way. The Bible talks about like this, first fruits, that's another term where they would give their first fruits. So if you're a farmer, you have lots of trees or vineyards, you would get first fruits. You know what they would do? They would collect all the fruit and then give it back to the temple, give it back to God. And can I tell you, that was a huge act of faith. They're saying, okay, now we're trusting that there will be more fruit to come. Can you imagine giving your first fruits? You're giving the first things you made back to God to say, okay, God, I'm giving you my first and I expect there to now be a a greater harvest even. There's a sense of faith in giving. When we give, there's a side of it where it's a lot of faith attached to it. God, I'm giving this back to you knowing you'll be my needs. You are my shepherd, I shall not lack. Money is not my shepherd. So when we give and when we give consistently, it's a sign of just faith and just trusting God and he will meet our needs. That is a big part of this. But I want to move on to this because here's the part, this is the heart of it generosity is not just sacrificial it's not just consistent like paul said on the first day it's not just consistent it should be done cheerfully and this is the one that we can't force or manipulate listen to this giving and generosity is done cheerfully it's second corinthians chapter 9 turn the page over read the verse with me second corinthians chapter 9 if you would look really quick look down at verse 7 he says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. The whole point is this. If this is giving you anxiety right now, just chill. It's okay. God loves a cheerful giver. There's a side of, of this where, again, the gospel is so penetrated deep in your heart, and even you have to pray over this, but say, God, so let the gospel go deep in my heart where I can give and I can give cheerfully. Like, you cannot wait to give. Let me say this. Don't give reluctantly. Don't give under compulsion. Don't give because of the sermon. You need to give because the Holy Spirit is prompting you and motivating you through the gospel of Jesus to say, I want to give and I want to give generously. I want to give liberally. I want to give freely. I want to give with a smile on my face. How you're like, Josiah, how do we get there? I don't know. <laughs> Preach the gospel to yourself every day. Honestly, here's what I, I want to say. One thing that has helped me is when I write the check for our, our church every week, uh, I pray over it, and it's really changed a lot. I didn't always do that. But when I pray over it, I go, God, multiply this. Let this be like fish in that basket or just multiplies. God, use this to save people. Use this to disciple people. Help us pay our rent and our bills and future vision and things. Like, I'll pray over that. I just encourage you to pray over it. Like, when you pray over it, it, do, it does do something differently. You're kind of invested in it in another way, in a spiritual way. It's a spiritual thing. I know that, you know, and we've done it too where we set up reoccurring payments where you also get those emails and it says, thank you for your gift. If you get that email, I would used to pray over that and say, God, thank you for this reminder. Lord, I pray that, and just pray over it. Just pray over it. Thank God for it. 
celebrate. Say, God, multiply it in your hands. Listen, it's one of those things where God just loves a cheerful giver. We cannot force this. If you've ever been around a child, ever forced your child to give, when I force Micah to share, it is miserable for both of us. He hates it and I hate it. I'm like, but you really got to share, dude. He's like, he'll give it and be like, in my heart, I'm not giving it over. You're like, ah. Like, he, he said things like that and you go, that is us. Like, we'll give it. We're like, in my heart, I'm not truly giving it, God. It's like, no, don't give in that way. It's one of those things, like, yes, we try to teach our, our child so they're not just a greedy hoarder their whole life, but it's one of those things where God's like, I just want you to naturally do this. I want it to be cheerful. I want it to be something that you cannot wait to do. The idea of cheerful is, I cannot wait. I want to celebrate. I want to thank God. Pray over it. Let the Holy Spirit do that in your life. By no means, given under compulsion or grudgingly. If you felt that, take a sigh of relief, because God does not want that. Again, God wants your heart. God wants all of you, and he knows, and it's true, according to the scriptures, that the, sometimes our finances get in the way of God. Sometimes we love that and serve that more than we love and serve God. And so that's why we practice giving, to say, God, free me from this. Free me from the thought that this is what controls me and will rule my life. You are my shepherd, I shall not lack. Amen? We give cheerfully. And listen to this. Generosity, and this is not some, I want to explain this in a second. Generosity is blessed and rewarded. And for those of you who maybe have uh, a bent in your heart to hate anything prosperity gospel, I get that. But the scriptures do talk about this blessing and reward even attached to giving. And let me just clarify, and let me just bring some understanding. Jesus said in, in Acts 20, Paul's quoting Jesus, and he says, you know what Jesus said, how it's more blessed to give than to receive? I love it, because that's a verse we'll like throw at like kids when they didn't get what they wanted for Christmas. Like, right? like they're like, oh, I had a terrible Christmas. Like, oh, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Like, we don't always mean that. I let Paul and Jesus means this. It truly is more blessed to give than to receive. If you've ever been a part of blessing someone, how many of you have even just seen a video? Maybe you haven't been a part of that, but you see a video on like Facebook or something and you just see a family or person or individual, someone in need, and you see people come around them and they give them and you watch, and now you'll be like alone, like just crying at Starbucks. Not, I'm not describing myself at all, but like, you're watching these videos of people like giving crazy and you go, oh, that is so beautiful. And this is what Jesus, it is more blessed to give than to receive. If you've been on the other end of giving, it's, it's a, truly a blessing. It truly is, does something to your soul and spirit. But let me just say, it's not just a blessed, I'd say it's even rewarded let me clarify. We do not give things to make God reward us. We do not do that. It cannot be done that way. We do not give God to twist his arm to be good back to us. We do not do that. Paul compares it to sowing and reaping. I find this fascinating. Don't lose, don't get lost in this point. Uh, here's what I mean by it's rewarded. Look at 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6. What does Paul say? Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Jesus talked about this too in, in the Gospels. He goes, the measure you use will be given back to you. I don't fully understand this. I will say some of the most generous, godly people I know, just not, I don't think they're rewarded because of that. I think they just live, because when they're giving, they're doing what they're called to do, and they, they're blessed men and women. It, it is great. When you actually live this way and say, God, I don't want to just throw a little bit of seed on the ground. I want to just cover the ground with seed. There's a difference. If I throw a little bit of seed, I might get a little harvest. But if I just cover the earth with seed, watch the heart. And this is how Paul relates to the gospel. He goes, cover the earth with seed. Get the gospel out. Jesus compares the word of God to the seed. Paul's comparing getting the gospel out to the seed. He's going, hey, when you sow bountifully, you reap bountifully. But if you want to sow sparingly, you'll reap sparingly. I don't fully get this, but this is something I believe we need to practice in faith and say, God, we're going to sow bountifully and expect to reap bountifully. Because this is what your word says. 
I'm not forcing this. I'm not twisting this. Even verse 8, Paul goes a step further in verse 8. Look how he says it in verse 8, 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8. He's like, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. That is interesting. That word sufficiency is this word contentment. Paul's like, you know what? God is able to just make you content in all things at all times. That's incredible. Paul can say this from prison. This is not, again, this is not prosperity gospel. Paul can be in prison and be like, I'm content and sufficient. This is not just a spiritual, physical thing. This is a, I actually have purpose and meaning and value. All of us want to be part of something bigger than ourselves. He's like, I, I'm a part of, I'm in prison and I love it because I have everything I need. Like Paul has a, such a deep, rich contentment in his life. And he goes, God can give you that grace. God can give you that grace where you don't have to live with a sense of I lack, I lack, I lack. God can give you this grace where you go, I have everything and more. His grace is sufficient for me. He's like, God is able to make all things abound to you. When I say it's rewarded, I fully, again, don't get this, but I know this is how the Bible communicates it. It's Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9 and 10. What what does Solomon write in Proverbs 3? He says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your produce. Listen, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. I don't get this. I just honestly look at the word of God and say, okay, God, this is what you say. I I take it at your word. I want to honor you with my wealth. My wealth. I want to honor you with my first fruits, and just trust that God, you will give me way more than I need. This is what Paul says. This is what Proverbs, this is just repeated over and over again. And this is interesting to me because I know this maybe has been abused in the church. It's been used to manipulate. This is not that. I think we've kind of gone to another extreme, which is we don't receive the we don't receive what Jesus is talking about. We don't receive this idea of the measure I use, the measure will be given back. We don't always believe that. I would say let's like not just rebuke it. Let's kind of understand the word in this. This is something where I find fascinating where God goes, test me, test me in this. You know, it's Malachi 3, but God dresses this big picture, and this will be my last verse, we'll move on, but listen to this for this section. Uh, Malachi 3, here's what he writes. Ever since the time of your ancestors, God says this, you've turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Listen to what he says. God says, return to me. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Like, in what way? Give me something practical, God. He says, will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? God's response, in tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will pre- uh, prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields uh, will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for you will be the delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. I get it that this was written to a certain group of people at a certain time. I absolutely get it. But when Paul says you sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. But if you sow bountifully, you reap bountifully. I so believe this is just a principle we see throughout the scripture. God's like, stop it. You want to return to me? Stop robbing me. How are we robbing you, God? In tithes and offerings. You withhold this from me. Like This is your true God you love and serve. You give to God to say, God, I don't love and serve this. I love and serve you. So I'm going to give back to you because this is truly all yours anyways. The breath of my lungs, the mind you gave me, the personality you gave me, the way I make my income, all of it is from you. All of it's a gift from you. I can never create this or manipulate this. God, all of it's from you and it's yours. So I'm giving back to you and God's like, yes, you get it. Test me in this. You sow sparingly, Paul said, you'll reap sparingly. Sow bountifully, you'll reap bountifully. Church, let us practice this. I found this really interesting. Barna Research Group put out this fact. They said, uh, during the Great Depression, the average follower of Jesus in a church gave about 3.3% of their income. Today, the average follower of Jesus gives about 25 to 3% of their income. We give less now in a time of prosperity than the church did during the Great Depression. 
I feel like, God, do something. I'm not, it's not about the, it's just saying, God, make us just generous. What is up with that? Why under a time of excess, we give less? What is up with that? God's like, test me in this. I'll say this, let's sow bountifully. Let us, let us get the gospel out. Could you imagine if our, I'm sorry, but the thing about 3% being the average income, what if our, your budget tripled? What we could do in our community, how many more family, how many more people we could help, and serve, how we could evangelize and disciple, how we could raise up a staff to help recruit and do that. These are just things I go, God, man, if you just make us generous. You do it. Not a minute, just do it by your spirit. So that is the what. Now let's look at the how. The how of generosity. Number three, the how of generosity. Here's just some simple thoughts for you guys. Um, the how of generosity. Don't keep this in mind. Giving is an act of worship. We give not out of obligation, but out of worship. So how? How? I want to encourage you to be like Abraham. Be like a river. Be like a river. How do we do this? Be like a river. Here's what I mean. Don't be a reservoir where God blesses you and blesses you and blesses you and you just get full, full, full. You know, when we were in Israel a few weeks ago, I thought it was interesting because they're talking about the Dead Sea. The Jordan River flows into the Dead Sea and it just stays in the Dead Sea. It, it, it's called the Dead Sea because nothing flows out of it. It just sits there and collects and grows in salt content. It's crazy. It's awesome. It's a cool place. But it's like, it's just this salty, de- nothing lives there. No fit. There's n- it's weird when you're in there. You're like, wait, nothing's in here? Like nothing can survive. There's like salt crystals floating next to you. It's just the Dead Sea. Why? It's just a reservoir. Rivers flown into it and nothing's flowing out. He's saying, let it flow out. God's blessed you. God said to Abraham in Genesis 12, I have blessed you to be a blessing. I've not blessed you so you can just grow. I've blessed you so you can be a blessing to the nations. Be like a river. How do we do this? Be like a river. Um, let me just say some practical things. Number two is give, give spontaneously. This is fun. There's something about having planned giving, and there's something about just being spontaneous. This is what I'm trying to work on. This is where my, I'm probably my weakest, which is like, oh, you see a need, and just go, oh, I want to give, and like give spontaneously. You know, that person online next to you, just, if there's something about doing this, you go, God, I want to be aware of needs. I want to be aware of the needs in the present moment. Let me say this. Practice secret generosity practice secret generosity. Jesus talks about this in Matthew 6. He says, take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Um, If I were right now, there's a need, and I were to say, hey, here is this money from me. There's a side of that, or if you were to do that to me, there's a side of that where now you feel like you're in obligation to that person. Oh, they just gave me like $500. Now when you see me, you feel this obligation. That's why Jesus goes, give secretly. Bless that person in secret. Bless that church. Do it in secret. Why? There's no obligation attached. No one knows. Guess what? Everyone wants to be seen when they do good things. God's like, let me see. I will reward you way greater than someone's smile can reward you. Just give in secret. Uh, Next is this. Uh, I would say this according to Galatians 6. Start with your local church. Paul in Galatians 6 says, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to the household of faith. Paul is saying this, just like in an old covenant, the Old Testament, they had synagogues, they had a temple, they'd give back. That was a place they were spiritually formed and growing. He goes, hey, do good to all, but especially the household of faith. We give here because this is the place, this is our community, our family. We want to see the health and life and growth happen here. I've been a benefit, I benefited from people investing into me and their time and their finances with resources, with books, with, with conferences. People have done, and we want to do the same thing. We want to see people grow in their faith. I would say this too, start now. We always have this mindset of, um, hey, one day when I really make X, God's like, just whatever you, it's not, God's not looking for this great amount, God's just looking for a generous heart. It's not like, well, I only make this much, now. again, like I made 7.25 an hour, it's like, it doesn't matter. God's like, I want to cultivate this in your heart now. Don't assume that one day when you have more, you'll already have that heart to be generous. You probably won't. Start now. Listen, every week when we do this, this series on spiritual disciplines, I want to remind you of something again. The goal is not the discipline. That is a means to an end. Amen. The goal is not, you guys, hey, give your money. That's not the goal. The goal is be like Jesus. And that's why we pray. 
That's why we have Silence and Solitude. That's why we serve. That's why we, that's why we do what we're doing in this series. And this is a part of it. We want to be like Jesus. We're trying to cultivate the spirit. So here's the practice and discipline for this week. Just like every week we have a practice and discipline, here's a practice and discipline. Um, maybe you've never done this. If you've never done this, one, budget your generosity. Uh, this is the first fruits idea. This is when we've created our budget. This is the first thing we budget. Before car payment, before house payment, the first thing we budget is our generosity. It's the first thing we do. It's not the leftover amount. Like, well, if I have enough leftover, that's not the first fruits. We're trying to start with that mindset. Budget it. Budget it. And then here's just some practical things. Give cheerfully. Again, I can't force it. This is what we talked about today. You've already done this. Give sacrificially. Give consistently. You know, one way for us is we're praying over and planning 2020. It's, it's helpful when we know what is going to be a recurring thing. You can give in a way where it's set up as a recurring payment, and all we see is the bottom line is, oh, this is what we'll have next month, and that is very helpful for us as we plan and pray over vision, but give consistently. I would say this, pray over every tithe you give. Just pray over, I would just, I think the Lord will do something powerful with that if everyone's praying over their gift. Just pray over it, and, and just give an offering. Go, give above and beyond to a Christian nonprofit. We talk about four kids. We talk about compassion. We've sponsored kids. We're bringing gifts to kids this week. We'd say just continue to look to give above and beyond. Like, give till it hurts in that sense. This is what we're trying to, to say, and here, I want to end with this thought. Listen, if this sounds crazy to you, if this sounds absolutely absurd, when you think about being generous in this way, here's how it doesn't sound crazy. Um, remember, this only makes sense if you trust in Jesus' vision in the world. Meaning, this idea of crazy generosity only makes sense if you look at Jesus and what he says on how to live life as this is truth. This will only make sense in that light. Meaning, Jesus goes, you want to live like me? You want to be with me? You want to do what I did? This is the, the goal for us, again, is to be with Jesus, be like Jesus, or be with Jesus, be like Jesus, to do what he did. And so we want to put these into practice. We want to walk, walk these out, carry these out. Listen again, out of everything, all these disciplines, this is not just a to-do list, it's not homework, this is not, oh, you failed the test. We don't, I, it's like we don't care. We just want to see your heart love and worship Jesus. At the end of the day, you can tithe and give all of your money and still not have love. Paul said that in 1 Corinthians 13. Though I sell all my goods and give all my goods to the poor but have not love, I am nothing. You could give and be the most generous person in the world and still lack love. At the end of the day, Jesus just wants you. He wants your heart. He wants you to say, Jesus, I'm going to show love. I'm not just going to fake this or force this. I want to be motivated by your spirit. Amen? Can we just do this? We're going to offer to God right now the sacrifice of praise. You thought I was going to say we're going to pass out tithing. No, we're not. We're going to offer to God just a sacrifice of praise. We're going to sing to him. We're going to worship him. Uh, we want that to be an offering to God is through the praise and the fruit of our lips to him. Amen? Can we just pray? And then we're going to spend a, a song or, uh, in worship and we'll close with some announcements. Father, we thank you. We thank you so much that you are way more generous than we ever could be. God, our generosity pales and all of the earth is yours and everything in it. God, you've given us your son, Jesus, and that's all we need. Let us believe that, walk in that. God, we want to see people come to know you here. I just pray for wisdom over stewardship of, over our finances, that it would be multiplied in your hands. That God, that uh, as we seek to do things by, in an, just with integrity, through the standards you've given us through other wise men and organizations, um, God, I ask that you bless that. I ask that you would multiply that. D Jesus, ultimately, ultimately, God, we just want to worship you with our whole lives. So God, let it not be a money thing. Let it be a heart thing. God, that where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. We just want our heart with you. 
Jesus, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your great grace. We ask that as we sing to you, as we worship you, as we praise you, that God, this would be just more about you than anything else, that Jesus, we'd be reminded of this fact that you were rich and you became poor, so we, through your poverty, might become rich, that we are blessed with all the eternal and spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. We thank you for that, Jesus. And we pray all of this in your precious name. Amen. Let's just stand and close out our time with some worship.